Hey everyone, it's John Negroni. This past week, I had the pleasure of speaking with the one and only Coleman Domingo, who co-stars in the new Netflix film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is out this week. In the film, Domingo shares the stage with the late Chadwick Boseman, as well as Viola Davis, and all three of these actors deliver truly show-stopping performances. So I was anxious to talk about the film with Domingo, whose celebrated work stretches to his prolific career on Broadway, his work as a writer, director, producer, in addition to some of his most iconic roles as an actor, which include characters from AMC's Fear the Walking Dead, Barry Jenkins' film If Bale Street Could Talk, Assassination Nation also from that year, also the upcoming Sundance hit Zola, that's just saying a few. I had a wonderful time talking to Domingo about his career and this new movie and what it was like to work with Chadwick Boseman in his final performance. It's an emotional conversation, but it's also a very joyful and inspiring one as well. I hope all of you get as much out of it as I did. No, 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 we ain't doing it that way. We're doing my version. That's what Mr. Irvin told me. Say it's on the list he gave. You let me worry about what's on the list. What kind of sense to make to rehearse the wrong version of the song? You're supposed to rehearse what you're gonna play. That's the way they taught me. That's what I'm trying to tell the now, man. You're trying to tell me what we is and ain't gonna play, and that ain't none of your business. Your oh, business is to play what I sing. Oh, I see now. You done got jealous because Mr. Irvin <laughs> using my version. <laughs> what the hell I got to be jealous of you about? The day I get jealous of you, I may as well lay down and die. You let me start all that cause you're too lazy to Rehearse. Where's the paper? Look at the paper, see what it say. Go tell me I'm too lazy. We ain't talking about the paper. We talking about you understanding where you fit in when you're around here. You play what I say. I don't care what you play. Mr. Irving gonna straighten it up. I don't care what you play. Any of you boys know what's keeping Ma? Uh, can't say, Mr. Irving. She'll be along directly, I reckon. First off, like I said, true honor. And just to let you know, our audience is made up of seriously passionate fans of cinema. So I know they're going to be super excited to hear you talk about Ma Rainey and possibly about film and your experience. So, uh, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about Ma Rainey over the next few months with uh, award season kicking off. That'd be nice. <laughs> I'm hoping for the best. So, uh, okay. Um, first off, oh, I just want to uh, thank you too for your contribution over the course of your life, honestly, to the theater out here. Uh, I'm based out of the San Francisco mm. Bay Area. And, oh, uh, that's yeah. my roots. That's my home. I owe everything to the Bay Area. They gave me um, my, my whole sense of work ethic in every single way. That's so awesome. Do, do art for art's sake and make art that matters, you know, and not to not really even care about the commercialization of it, but the, the idea of making it and creating it and making a space for it. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So as an actor, your experience between movies, television, and the stage is pretty prolific. And I'm sure, I assume, the way you prep for a film role is quite different from when you're working on a stage role, which makes this movie pretty interesting, right? Because worlds are sort of colliding, you're doing a stage play adaptation. So so what, what is that like? What, what is that combination like for you? Well, you know what? To be very honest, I, I have deep roots in the theater and um, everything that I've learned in practice and preparation as a character actor, I sort of have taken it, always kept that with my theater work and my um, television work. Um, I just, I, I think it's just part of what I'm used to of really I make collages for characters and music playlists, and I, I really love extensive research and detailing my characters 
with everything, the way they move, their body, their weight, the way they hold their gait through imagery. So I love building a character in that way. That's the, I feel like that's my favorite part. I think possibly that's, I enjoy that even more than shooting because, <laughs> because I think by the time I'm shooting, I, I, it's all over. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I think I think the research, the work, the inquiry, the um, is is over. So um, I prepared for *My Rainy's Black Bottom* very much the way I do in the theater. Um, we had two weeks of a rehearsal, but even before that, I made sure the weeks prior I did my work when it comes to reading the source material, which is the play. Did all my research about Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith and the time period, and even anything that I didn't understand or I wanted to know. If I thought my character knew, whether it's where the train stops in Georgia, I wanted to know what those towns were like and all that stuff. And so I did all this research. I mean, really, and that, that goes into just getting the whole time period and the weight of everything um, underneath right. your skin so you can actually just really be in the moments and, and trust that it's all there. So I did the same sort of um, work that I do in the theater. And for this hybrid, though, I was very, um, it's funny, for a moment I was concerned because I think, you know, it's written very theatrical. And people have extensive monologues. And usually, you know, with any play, you're trying to reach, you know, the, the mezzanine. <laughs> and uh, and you're um, required to sort of like have this sort of hybrid of like making sure it had its, um, its poetry and its theatrical license, but to really condense it and make sure that it was very intimate for film. So um, it did require, I think maybe that's why George Wolf hired actors that were rooted in the theater, but also have yeah. extensive film and television experience because we know how to make that hybrid happen. So that's what I think happened. Absolutely. Yeah, I can tell uh, you did a lot of research. And I do have a very specific question for you about August Wilson's writing, of course. But, you know, I, I do think it would be great if we could maybe first set the stage a little and discuss your character in Ma Rainey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is the heart and soul of Cutler? Mm. I think Cutler is essentially a diplomat. Cutler, they're saying my nephew Sylvester, he's gonna do the voice intro on that Black Bottom song using the old version. What you talking about? Mr. Irvin said we're using Maybe my I'm version. Maybe I'm studying you and Mr. Irvin. Cutler, get him straightened out and how to do his part. I ain't thinking about Levy. These folk done mess with the wrong person this day. Sylvester Cutler gonna teach you how to do your part. You go ahead and get it straight. Don't worry about what nobody else say. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, come on in, boy. I'm Cutler. <laughs> That's Toledo, Levy, and Slow Drag over there. He is. Um, he has to exhibit tremendous amounts of diplomacy as he is Ma Rainey's uh, proxy when she's not in the room to make sure he does her bidding and serves her music well. He is one of the members of the band, um, and he's also the first face that. Um, institutions see, whether they go to a concert venue or a recording session. So he's got to navigate the system, the systemic um, racist um, uh, institutions at the time. So he's got to exhibit a, a tremendous amount of grace, I believe, and um, care for um, all of these worlds and how he's trying to, um, he's been given power by Ma to really navigate this balancing act to just make good music. So I think that he has a tremendous amount of responsibility and um, an ownership um, because I think, you know, he loves the music and he loves these men in the band. And so he wants to care for them, care for Ma um, and uh, care for, um, he is definitely, he's the band leader. He is, um, he's been given tremendous amounts of responsibility and he's trying to navigate that 
with um, you know everyone coming in with their own pressure cooker on this one yeah. hot summer day as they're trying to record an album. Yeah. Did, do you see yourself a little bit or at all in that kind of role for yourself creatively? Oh, yeah. I think you've got to bring a part of yourself into every role. But this role in particular, I, I look at how it relates to Coleman as I consider myself the ultimate host. <laughs> and it comes from my years of being in the service industry. I know how to throw a good party. And everyone nice. knows that. I think that's, um, <laughs> I, th- I think that, I think, you know, I know how to have a great cocktail and great lighting, great music and curate the right people in any room. And so I, I lean into that because even as Cutler and in being a part of Marines Black Bottom, I made sure I took those, uh, that role seriously by making sure that I provided dinners for the company and, you know, made sure that the band set out to eat and have fellowship with one another because I knew that that would uh, permeate our set and we needed that that energy to be jocular and to, you know, so we can inquire and create a safe space. So I do think of myself, there's a lot of cutler in me. I think that I, I'm a bit more, I live a, a bit more um, carefree and I think I'm a lighthearted human being. I'm not as intense as cutler, but I can be, I know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 The thing I liked about this role is uh, I wasn't sure if it was on base, but I felt like I was kind of like getting to know Coleman Domingo a little bit. You know, and oh, role. that's nice. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess you're right. I mean, there's there's a sense of um, I guess there's a bit of his demeanor of um, even the way he holds his, holds his body, or the way he dresses, or the way he speaks. He knows that he has to sort of like um, massage the relationship between the band Ma, yeah, and the systemic institutions. And he's also had to be one of the members of the band. So there's a lot of code switching as well. And that's something I innately understand. You know what I mean? Although I do believe that I'm pretty much the same in every room, but that comes from a um, tremendous sense of maybe being a bit more self-possessed and being uh, assured in my abilities and the way I communicate with people that I, I don't, I don't necessarily code switch so much. I think that, um, but Cutler had to, because that was, um, you know, the world that he was living in. But I yeah. think um, I, I approach it a bit more boldly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I really wish I could have seen you do fences on the stage. Um, mm. you've done you've done some of that work, but um, so this isn't your first time working with like August Wilson's dialogue. Not but at all. Uh, I am I am pretty curious. Like, why why do you think you know something like this, which was written for the stage? Why do you think it translates as well as it does to being so cinematic? Like, what do you think it is about the writing in particular, and about Ma Rainey herself in this story? I think August Wilson writes so boldly about black life and examines it with every um, intent. Uh, I mean, there's colloquialisms, there's uh, academic conversations, there's, um, but it's really the way black people talk and the way they relate to one another, especially when white people aren't in the room. So I do feel like it it is, um, it is very much to, I don't know, I always consider August Wilson um, our O'Neill our Pinter, or our Shakespeare, because he really does um, go to the heart and soul of what African-Americans uh, dream about, desire, um, relate to when it comes to each other or the um, systems of America in a way that's really human and full. Um, no one is suffering any tropes whatsoever. There is truly a fullness. And, and his characters don't have to be Kings or queens, they're the most ordinary human beings. That's what I love about him. I think he invites um, everyone to sort of be their own hero in their own story. 
um, everyone's in the center of their own story in an August Wilson. That's why any actor worth his salt is eager to be a part of an August Wilson production because you get to have a full, full experience and call in the experiences that you know that you've seen in your own families, um, stories from your grandparents, um, stories about the Great Migration, you name it. You really get to be in those um, the, in that conversation with these characters. And they're, they have high, you know, such highs, and they're usually spiritual at some point, um, but they're really interrogating life. And I don't think that we usually get that in, um, in our work. But August Wilson has um, set a great stage that makes you want to wrestle with that. I, I played Gabriel in Fences when I was 28 years old, because again, I'm art director and I played a 40-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought that, and I thought that, um, I, with Gabriel, I remember I would, I would walk out into um, nature and put my feet in the dirt because he was connected to it. And, and I was, I don't know, I was able to read text and know my place in society and do the work. But it was really one of the, you feel lived in when you're doing an August Wilson play. You can do all the work so it can feel lived in. And I think that's what I actually, as, as I'm talking about it now, I, think, I realize that that's what I love about it, that I get to be, have a full experience. You know, not just be in the periphery or um, be a part of, you know, a little part, a cog of some in, some other greater engine. But every character has uh, their truth and they have something that they want and they have a really incredible arc. And it's usually complex. And um, and most characters have they, they have some frailty. They have some issues they're working off of. So no one's a monolith. You have these all these black folks with different points of view. And that's incredible to see, you know, not, not everyone's praising God and the, Oh dear Lord and all that, you know, someone's questioning God. Someone has a different ideology and a different philosophy in ways that we understand as African-Americans, because usually in work, we are all meant to believe, believe one thing. Like when people say, I, I'm always just amazed when people say, you know, like when it comes to voting, getting the black vote as if all black people think the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, so I love that August Wilson uh, debunks that and says that our, our people have very different points of view. And so you want to get in there and give it all you got. So I really appreciate the way you contextualize that, um, especially the Shakespeare connection. If we had more time, I think I could talk to you in, for like an hour about uh, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> but alas. So I, I know this is a pretty sensitive subject, but I do want to take a moment and celebrate the, the life and achievement of your colleague, Chadwick Boseman. And mm -hmm. I, I really want to hear your take on him in this movie on your own terms. So no leading question here. I just want okay. to give you a chance to say what you want to say. Chadwick was um, my fellow Sagittarius brother. He is born on November 29th and November 28th. And for years, we, we wanted to work together um, we had a moment together on the set of uh, 42 where my, my role was actually cut, but we had a, a really wonderful scene, uh, me, him, and Nikki Bahari. And, um, but then we finally got a chance to work together. And I remember the first thing he said to me was like, oh, man, I can't wait to dance with you. God's going to strike you down with that blasphemy you talking. Oh, God don't mean nothing to me. Oh, let him strike God. me. Here I am standing right here. You talking about he gonna strike me. Here I am. Let him strike me. I ain't scared of him. All right, all right. You're gonna be sorry. You're gonna fix yourself to have bad luck. Ain't nothing gonna work out for you. Bad luck? Yeah. What do I care about bad luck? You talking simple. I ain't had nothing but bad luck all my life. Couldn't get no worse. What the hell I care about some bad luck? 
Hell, I eat it every day for breakfast. You dumber than I thought you was talking about bad luck. All right, nigga. You'll see. <laughs> Can't tell a fool nothing. You'll see. <laughs> he used those words in particular. I can't wait to dance with you. While he had his trumpet, you know, he, out, he just had his rehearsal was looking at me like this, like, oh, we're about to spar. And I think he just, he was just always um, uh, willing. He was, um, I've seen him as being such a, uh, an, he had an incredible work ethic. Um, he, he gave it his all. He, the thing I know about Chad, which is very interesting, he played all these kings and legends. When he walked into the room, he walked in quietly. It was like a quiet grace and focus. So he didn't, there was no pomp and circumstance whenever he entered the room. And, um, and you would pull it out of him. You know, he was in deep thought. He was storing it up and doing the work and thinking a lot. I, I always think of Chad as, I don't know, I feel like it's limiting to think of him as an actor. And I feel like I've never thought of him as sort of an actor. I thought of him as something more like a prophet because of I love what he was doing out in the world and how he's inspiring generations and promoting um, exceptional representations of Black people. And I, I just loved listening to him. And he was an intellectual and he was a, an artist and a painter and um, a musician. Um, he loved, you know, talking about, you know, um, I think he was studying Hebrew and, and then hieroglyphics. And we had a great conversation about how he wanted to move to Portland. And I was like, why do you want to move to Portland? He's like, oh, man, the mountains, and it's beautiful and it's chill. Yeah. So he was looking forward to things like that. And so I always knew his thoughts, which is, um, but we never really talked about acting or the work about acting. Because I think that we always, I think we were always related to each other about all these other big things. And we were sort of rooted in the fact that this is um, our calling to have all, to let all those thoughts and things we want to do and what we care about come through us as actors and artists. I loved working with Chad. Chad was um, always game. We worked hard together. We went to some very deep places together. Um, we even held each other up after one take and cried because we know we were leaving it all on the floor and putting our hearts and souls into it and putting other, other uh, I don't know, I feel like we always felt the weight of, we have to help tell other people's stories. And I know that we, that's the way we respected each other and responded to each other. Um, and he, he, he gave me a beautiful rap gift, which is a, um, it's a record player. It's a little record player that I have in my living room. And I thought it was the kindest gesture that he wanted to make sure that I had music. Um, so I buy lots of vinyl and every time, of course, I listen to it now, I have to think about Chad. I think he knew he was setting, setting me up to always have a part of my, uh, in my consciousness. So, uh, I'll go home and I'll put on some Coltrane and here go around and I'll think about Chad. I think that's the gift that he gave me. He wanted me to be a part of his music so we could, like he said, we can dance together. That's, I think, I think that's, a. Uh, I think it's ultimately what you want as um, I think saying Chad was a friend is kind of limiting. I, I look at him more as a comrade because I feel like he was a brother in arms and that we were trying to do the same work together. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for putting it that way in those terms. Um, what, what do you really hope people are going to get out of this movie? I mean, just full, genuine, 
a lot of people are hopefully going to watch this. It's going to be on Netflix and I'm sure they're, they're going to get something out of it, but what do you, what do you hope that's going to be? This is the end of one of the most disruptive years in modern times when we have when black people have been marching and saying to see us and see our full humanity that black lives matter. I think it's important for us as a country, as human beings, to know each other's stories. So how to really take in that person that you're looking you may have had some thoughts about. And I think it's I think this film is part of doing the work. You can have an examination of black life and black thought. Um, and also, I think at the center of it, you may have this enormous figure like Ma Ramey, who her, she has done so much, not only for the recording industry, for women, for gay people. She had to be a pioneer and she was very self-possessed. And so I think it's good to look at her as an examination, but also I think Myrene's Black Bottom really is about America. Levy is America. The character of Levy, played by Javik Bozeman, is Levy. He's trying to move so forward, but he's got such deep scars of the past. That's America. And he's, he's blindly trying to go forward and, and break through, break through, break through, but he's not dealing with the scars of his past. And because of that is why he has pitfall after pitfall, which is why it's, it's already a tragic figure. And so I think it's an examination of America, to be honest. And I think that we're ready for those conversations. I tell people, throw away white fragility and watch movies like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, you need some tools. Film, the cinema is an incredible tool because we can sit in the dark and we can, we can have these conversations, um, hear people speak their truth, and hopefully move the dial. And hopefully we can all get better and we can heal a little bit more. So I think that's what I hope. Um, and it's and it's and it's entertaining and it's fun and it's of great course. music and it's banned for ourselves and all that stuff. But it's a Trojan horse, you know? <laughs> it's coming in with all the trappings of like, look at this, it's Hollywood, it's Netflix, it's Viola and Chad and me and Michael and Glenn, George C. Wolf and Roth's costumes. So it's a, a glittery, beautiful package but then it's going to go a little deeper. It's a Trojan horse of, of 2020. Coleman Domingo, thank you so much for speaking with me. I hope you have uh, a great happy holiday and uh, a great new year. It's great to talk to you. I'll see you again. Great to talk to you as well. That was my conversation with Coleman Domingo, and it really was a memorable one. Be sure to check out Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's going to be out on Netflix starting December 18th. Hope you all enjoy it, and we'll see you soon on the main show to review it.